Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking with Andrew Yang. He burst onto the scene out of nowhere when he ran in the Democratic presidential primary in 2020. Yang's an entrepreneur who developed a devoted following. Remember the Yang Gang? Who wore caps with the word math on them. It stood for Make America Think Harder, a nerdy rebuttal to the red Make America Great Again caps favored by Donald Trump. Yang lost, but some of his ideas, like giving people a universal basic income of $1,000 a month to spend on whatever they wanted to, captured people's imaginations. He ran for New York City mayor, losing again, and then left the Democratic Party, frustrated with how the two-party system is failing America. For the last year, he's been fronting something new called the Forward Party, his answer to the shortcomings of the Democratic and Republican parties. He spent the last year recruiting candidates and raising money. He's not going to run for president himself in 2024, nor will the Forward Party sponsor a candidate. Instead, he's focusing on supporting candidates running for local offices and advocating for reforms to the political system. I asked Yang how he got from running for office to starting his own political party. So I came off the trail in 2020, and my presidential campaign had objectively overachieved we brought the awareness and approval of universal basic income from around 27% when I started running to 65% at the end. So that was a joy. But I still felt terrible about the direction of American politics and where we're heading. I think most people who listen to this podcast are probably on that page. (laughs) You're not listening because you think it's all going great. (laughs) (laughs) It is not. It is not. Um, Disclaimer. So I figured out why I felt that way. And I I wrote a book that documented some of my experiences and findings. And it was that we're being set up to fail in large part by a dysfunctional party system. The numbers I like to use for people uh, are that we have a congressional approval rating of around 20%. And I think most people can relate to that. What is the re-election rate for incumbent members? And 90%. 94. That's right. So for you Warriors fans, it's a better win rate than the Kevin Durant era Golden State Warriors. So imagine a country or a business or whatever environment where four to five people are unhappy and you change nothing. And you have media organizations, present company accepted, who are now separating us into ideological teams and tribes. And then social media pouring gasoline on the whole thing and then AI arriving. So this is going to get worse and worse. The polarization is already tearing us apart. It's pushing meaningful solutions further and further away. So I figured this out in 2020 after I came off the trail and I said, okay, I get it now. We're being set up to fail because of some very bad design and the problems are going to get worse, not better. So what the heck do you do about that? And I I realized that you had to change the dynamic of the two-party system from this false clash and change the incentive structure. Because right now, even if you got a good moral person into office, and they, they they do exist. I've met a number of them. They're not going to solve the problems. I mean, and so if you don't change the incentives, you're stuck. So you have to change the incentives. And that's how the forward party originated. So what is your goal with this? You, you're just to be clear, you are not running anyone for president. That's right. So we have 15 elected officials who've aligned with the forward party around the country. And we think that's going to get to 50 by year end and 500 by next year. And that includes enlistment and recruitment, but it could include candidates who run from at any level, from school board, city council, county executive, mayoral, members of Congress. 
So the the growth is phenomenal. It's happening all the time because if you just throw a rock at someone, not that that's a good thing to do, but if if you tap someone on the shoulder and you say to them, hey, are you happy with things are going? They'll say, heck no, particularly in a place like San Francisco. And then when you explain to them, look, this is the way out, they're interested. A lot of the things you're talking about in the forward party, in your platform at least, is already in place in California. Independent redistricting system, nonpartisan primaries, ranked choice voting we have in San Francisco and Oakland, other places. What have you learned from how California has implemented some of these things and what doesn't work? Well, let's use San Francisco as the most pressing example. So you have massive problems of petty crime and homelessness and affordability. You could throw public education into that if you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, were so inclined. And you have an unresponsive, relatively unaccountable set of public officials who circulate in and out and nothing meaningfully changes. So a lot of people are voting with their feet. And after you leave, it's just going to get worse behind you because this the system is not actually rewarding good policy or performance and punishing bad policy performance. So how do you get your way out of that mess? And the way you get out of that mess, we're going to suggest, is by saying, look, having a different flavor of Democrat get in there is not the answer. What you would need is you would need a genuine competition and genuine divergence of approach and point of view and and not someone who just rotates in and then says, look, I'm going to say some different words than the person before me, but nothing really is going to change meaningfully. That's the road to disaster. And really the, the question is, what is the way out? So we're going to suggest that, look, the way out is going to be a very different political approach that is truly accountable to the people and voters and not to whatever the freaking special interests that already have a stranglehold on the folks uh, who are in office, which we all know that there's this layer of folks who have much higher interests in a lot of these local races, and they go in and game the heck out of them, while the rest of us look up and say, huh, like I'm on the outside looking in. A lot of Democrats are going to be listening to this right now, and I, and I know we'll be screaming at their speakers saying, you know, what the hell is Yang doing? He's going he's gonna to blow this election for Biden. I want to get yeah. animated about this for a second. Yeah, yeah. Is that, hey, new party. Oh, no, Ralph Nader redux. Right. And then if you You're say, not look, that. not running the presidential, then there's still this like animus because there's a lot of tribalism and fear and anxiety baked in, which is like, look, I'm team Democrat in the face of all evidence around me. Like, I'm going to leave San Francisco and I'll still be angry at Yang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it makes zero sense. It's like, if you're going to be angry at anything, you should be angry at a system that is not delivering for you and yours and has no desire to do so. Andrew, there's a centrist group called No Labels, and its leaders have said that it will run a candidate for a third party if it's clear by early March that the choices for president will be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. So explain the difference between what you're doing and what No Labels is doing. Well, that that is the difference. So No Labels is saying, hey, we're the president. We do not care about your city council, school board, county executive, mayor, et cetera, et cetera. That's not what we're about. We're, we're just presidential or bust. And Forward Party is saying, no, we are the 520,000 local races that are not the presidential. And I'm going to suggest to anyone listening to this that most of those elections are uncontested or uncompetitive. 75% of the country, including you, are under one-party rule. So the the canard, the false narrative about like, oh, spoiler, spoiler, it's like, look, 
I mean, heck, you guys have a system that, frankly, makes being a spoiler much less likely too. So, you know, bully for that. But all of that is just baked into one out of the 520,000 races, and that's the presidential, which we are not touching. And so the solution is to focus on these lower races, build a, a structure and a farm team of forward party candidates, and that's what's going to – this is going to be a slow build. Or you're going to have existing office holders say, you know what? I like that more than whatever I'm doing now, which is – so the mayor of Fort Collins, Colorado said, I'm not actually here for the blue versus red stuff. I'm tired of defending like a national party that has nothing to do with what I'm doing here as mayor. So I, I'm now forward party. There are a lot of folks here in California who want nothing to do with the 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 tribalism and just want to deliver for their people. One other thing you talk about a lot about is to sort of remove the, uh, the when you say the, the tribalism and all that stuff and, and the animus between the parties. How do you bring together people who maybe from a rural part of Northern California that are maybe want looser gun ro- laws, but they are uh, pro-abortion rights? Oh, no, this is exactly right, Joe. You hit the nail on the head is that if someone was, let's say, pro-abortion rights, but also really into their guns or whatnot. You're suggesting that there's a place for them right now. I'm going to suggest that right now there there isn't because we've been falsely divided into like, look, you got to be on this team or that team. And there are tons of Americans around the country who are actually much more open-minded and flexible on a whole range of issues. If you go to their house, like they also suffer from lack of health care or lack of education or lack of housing affordability or lack of this and that. There are so many Americans who, if you bring them to the table, who might disagree with you and me on a number of social issues. But then if you were to say to them, you think the drug companies are getting away with murder? You think that we should lower lower prices? As long as you don't cue them up and try and smack them in the head with like a, you know, a blue flag. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And younger people feel this way in greater numbers than, than millennials and younger. seen studies that they are, you know, obviously less with a particular party or not. They're, they're less affiliated with one. Do you feel that they are, that the future might for this type of thing might be with younger folks? By the numbers, it, it will be in the sense that, like you said, young people don't love what other party is offering at very high numbers. Two thirds say that they're not partisan in a conventional way. I will say though that many of the early adopters to Ford have been people who've actually been immersed in the political system and come out the other side and said, hey, like th- this is a mess and, and leading us to disaster. But there are a lot of people who can be persuaded to engage in a different kind of process rather than, again, essentially bludgeoned into saying like, hey, you know, vote the team that you've been conditioned to dislike. Andrew Yang has strong opinions about whether Joe Biden should run again in 2024. We'll hear what he says after this break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Andrew Yang, let's talk about Joe Biden. In 2020, you said the magic of Joe Biden is that everything he does becomes the new reasonable. Do you still feel that way? I like a lot of what Joe's delivered, uh, you know, in, in terms of legislative achievements and the rest of it. But you know what else Joe Biden said in 2020? 
I am going to be a bridge to the next generation. Uh, he, he didn't say when, though. <laughs> <laughs> he normally, just said, I'm going to be, but he didn't say when. <laughs> no, normally, that turn of phrase would not mean, like, uh, after two terms and I'm 86 years old and you have to cart me out. I mean, like, that that's not what well, Do you think he should run suggests. again? You know, most Democrats don't think he should run again. Right. You know, so you, you can You're not a Democrat. You're not wearing the colors anymore. What do you think? This is true. I feel like I have no need now to defend <laughs> decisions I disagree with. Right. So I, I think Joe should have been like George Washington type statesman and say, hey, I'm, I've am i done my job just to get rid of Trump and uh, now it's time to turn to the next generation. So you think he shouldn't run again? Yeah, I don't think he should. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I think that his running is opening us up to an increased possibility of some very negative things happening. Like? You know, uh, uh, right now... I think Trump's going to become the Republican nominee, and I think we'd have a better chance against Trump with different candidates than Joe. Why do you think all the Democrats, our own governor included, have uh, said very loudly and clearly, I am not running in 2024 as long as Joe Biden is running? What I've heard is that they've been given the message, do not run against Joe, but there's a chance that Joe does not make it all the way through the convention. And if he does not, then you're on the short list to replace him. Wow. You know, people are making calculations and there are concerns about Joe in, you know, places where you would not hear that concern expressed publicly. We have a situation here with Senator Feinstein. Great example. (laughs) She is basically just casting votes now. There's no interaction with constituents or or many of her fellow senators for that matter. What would you do about term limits? I think this is part of the answer. I think we should have reasonable term limits for the folks we send to Washington. Three quarters of Americans agree. It would open up the gerontocracy. It would mean that our leaders understood, let's say, AI and technology uh, a little bit more natively and directly. It would reduce the careerism and corruption that we know is happening right now. So Senator Feinstein is certainly an example of that. At, At a certain point, Folks start prioritizing themselves, their quote-unquote legacy, and the rest of it over effectiveness or true representation. And instead of blaming them for that, we should blame ourselves for not having a better system. So what would the better system be? Because you know, the, the thing about term limits is you would the people who would have to vote on term limits are essentially voting themselves out of oh, well, office. So here's the clever way to do it. Term limits of, let's call it 12 or 18 years per house, present legislators are exempt. Okay. Thus, they get to do the right thing and not actually pay a price. They get to have their cake and eat it too. And then they'd hang around as the super annuated, super senior crew, but then eventually they'd phase out and then you'd wind up with folks who come and go as most of us would prefer. I wanted to get your take on some AI stuff. You just mentioned that. What, what are your concerns, your hopes, and perhaps most important, how should government be regulating it? We should have a dedicated federal agency and a cabinet secretary whose job it is just to appropriately regulate and adapt to AI. And we should be trying to lead a global effort in the same direction. I think we could get the EU to join. Here's the fundamental problem, Joe. And and, and this is why what the Forward Party is doing is so important here in California and around the world. What was the federal approach to regulating social media? No one knows. I mean, we're still operating under Section 230, which was written before Facebook was even right. started. So- So you have to ask yourself, okay, why did the federal government never regulate social media? And I'm going to suggest that part of it is that, you know, people were a little bit out of touch. But part of it was that there is no relationship 
between good policy and your job security. There's, there might even be a negative relationship. Like if you actually promulgated effective policy, your job security might go down because it, of- But job know, security if, or a, a, a state or a national legislator. Or a national legislator. So okay. again, you have a 94% reelect rate as long as you don't rock the boat. You do something brave in principle, like vote to impeach Trump as a Republican, and then eight to 10 of them are out of the House and, and the rest of it. So as long as you like, you know, kowtow to whoever the boss is at that moment in time, and you don't mess with the dollar signs. And so no one wanted to mess with the dollar signs. It was um, a growing industry in 1996 when Section look, 230 I, came in. I'm yeah. pro-growth, I'm pro-innovation, yeah. but I'm also pro-humanity. Now, you look at AI, and this is clear as day to everyone. It's like, uh, now, now you, and you can see DC trying to figure out what to do. But the reason why we feel so adrift on climate change, AI, education, homelessness, the rest of it, is that our legislators do not need to do a damn thing in order to get reelected every time. And if they do the right thing, the odds of them getting reelected generally go down, not up. There was a U.S. senator who said this to me, an issue is now worth more to us unaddressed than addressed. Because if I try and address it, I, I take a beating, my base turns on me, my job security goes down. If I don't do anything, then I can get you mad, I can raise money, I can raise votes, and I keep my job. So, you know, like, like, let's do something that will actually change the dynamic, change the balance, recreate the faux connections. Here's the connection that we pretend is in effect, that our leaders have to please 51% of us to keep their jobs. Not true. The, the truth is that they have to placate and please the 10 to 12% most engaged folks who generally vote in their party primaries, which is why the Republican Party seems so zany and crazy and why the Democratic Party seems so ideological and that, you know, more wrapped up in trying to say the right thing in a press conference than actually solving a problem. So that's where we are. And I'm not going to pretend that the way out is easy or fast. It is not. But the way out would re require a positive, inclusive, independent, popular movement that builds at the grassroots level, grows and grows and grows. And then in the advanced year of 2028 has an array of national candidates that are ready to speak for the majority of Americans who are on the outside looking in and want real change. The forward party, we're growing quick and we're going to keep on growing because everyone is pissed off. And if, if you're not pissed off, you're not paying attention. And I understand if you're pissed off at the other side. And I'm going to suggest to you, you're being pissed off at the other side is just going to get worse and worse because guess what? You're not changing any minds you know, this way. You're not changing any minds by by yelling at them or not talking to them or saying that they're not in your family anymore. Like that, that's not working. So what we have to realize is, you know why we're this polarized and animated is because people are profiting from us. People are profiting from the division, uh, the, the energy, the animus, the hate, honestly. And so you have to pull back and say, look, it's not you. It's the system that is profiting from our hating each other. Wanted to just get your take on where uh, UBI, Universal Basic Income, what you're feeling about it right now. And for those who are not familiar with it, basically involves giving folks uh, five hundred to thousand dollars a month to spend as they wish. There's a lot of pilot programs here in California now, a bunch nationally. What are you liking that you're seeing happen to it? And what has uh, you're not liking? What has surprised you? It's been awesome seeing communities around the country, especially here in California piloting various programs. You know what the single biggest implementation though was? Was the Enhanced Child Tax Credit of 2021 during COVID. Millions of kids were lifted out of poverty because they were the families were getting three, 400 bucks a month per child. 
And something like 170 economists signed a letter saying this is the best thing we've done in a generation. We should keep doing it. So present day America being what it is, we discontinued it in 2022, kicked those millions of American families back into poverty. But if you look at the data from the enhanced child tax credit, better health outcomes, better educational outcomes, lower levels of abuse and domestic violence, that is the single most robust quote unquote experiment or pilot that we ran and we should have doubled and tripled down instead of pulling the plug. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Andrew Yang for being on the podcast again today. Thanks to Gary Baca for engineering today's episode. And for the last time, I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman for producing this episode. And remember, no matter what solution you have to fix the two-party system, It's all political on Fifth and Mission.